Greetings, my name's Andrew Sumner. My grandfather, Pop Smythe, bought me my first comic book in Liverpool, England, when I was three years old, and I spent the next 50 years hurtling around the pop culture kaleidoscope, first as a fan, and then as a journalist, editor, publisher, and presenter. Along the way, I met a bunch of interesting people who will be joining me here, creators, performers, professionals, and public servants. We live in divisive, fractured times, but art and popular culture connect people from all viewpoints and from all walks of life. I'm often struck by the passions people enjoy, that they can set aside their differences for and agree on, whatever those passions are, whether I share them or not. And that spark, that moment of instinctive, connective agreement, that's what I call a hard agree. Because it's not a, it's not a Latin word. Is that it's right? To, Is that right? <clears throat> right. It's up to pussies. Really? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So, I love it. So if you stay up to pussies, you're right. Yeah, that's it. Well, you know what? That That's down for my thing I've learned for today already. That's brilliant. <laughs> Octopuses. You know, yeah. I, and I'm sure I've grown up listening to people say things like octopi. I'm certain well, people I've People say it all the time. I mean, yeah. you know, kind of academically inclined. I wouldn't say particularly bright, but academically inclined <laughs> people. <laughs> How are you doing, Mike? Doing stuff like that. I'm fine. Well, I'm sort of fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I guess I'm yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear, we're wearing the same shirt today. We, they won't be able to tell us apart. <laughs> So true. So it's just as well I had a shave earlier. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get my glasses off. That'll help. Oh, yeah, that's I good. Think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, th- well, this this one's audio only, so we're all good. So I'm oh, just okay. I've just got the cameras on. So you know, it's much I find even though I'm just recording audio, it's much better to have the camera on when we record it. Oh, no, I, I I myself but before <laughs> before we start again, I'll just I'll just say welcome to Hard Agree. I'm Andrew Sumner, and welcome to my very special returning guest as part of our ongoing conversation, Michael Moorcock. How you doing, mate? I'm doing fine, Andy. Thanks. I hope you're doing well. Yeah. How's, your, how's your dad, mm. by the way? I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, he he's great. My dad's in great shape. When you look back on that period of time when you had that, you know, the, the, those relations with Irving Kirsten, what? How do you look back on it now? You know, how, how do you think of that period of time? A nightmare. Yeah, frankly, I mean, Kirshner, he was rather. They, they both, both Kirshner and Fuest, who did the final program. Yeah had it in their heads. They'd both had successes, which really didn't have much to do with them. The Dr. Fibes films could have been put together by anybody who had you know, contact with 20 British character actors, you know, who knew exactly what they were supposed to do and frequently had lived it and did it and went home, you know, and, and that yeah. was it. But that was the Dr. Fibes films. People loved them and they did well. So EMI then let him have, the final program, which I didn't really want him to have, but nonetheless, that it, by that time EMI were, were controlling it. They they had the you know they, they'd put all the money in, and so that 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 was fused anyway. And I've already talked about that. Actually, came through a friend of mine who who was the producer of the final program, Sandy. Oh God, Sandy's name's just gone out of my head. I've known it for years. I'm sorry. That's this okay. happens to me. It's all. This has happened to me all my life. I'm yeah, terrible at proper it, names. It, it, it happens to me all the time as well. So oh, I, I really do empathise. <laughs> good, good. 
Uh, anyway, he'd been a producer of the final program and had really been the person who understood the final program and was actually asking me to rewrite Fuse's script as Fuse was, you know, buggering it up as far as we were concerned. Yeah. And uh, so I did. I actually wrote free over a weekend a new script for for Sandy. But anyway, Sandy Sandy remained a friend and remains a friend. He's American, but he lives in England. And he was working then. Uh, he started working for the Lad Company, I think. Oh yes. And uh, and uh, Kirshner had a job from the Lad Company to do a Lancelot, a King Arthur picture. And he wanted it to be as good a King Arthur picture as it could be. They all say that. I mean, I remember Mil- Milton Zabrowski saying that about the last siege of the Saxons, which was a, an amicus film, I think. Yeah. And, and, and it covered 2,000 years of history because of the number of library shots he'd, he'd used and then had to try to match the costumes to the library shots. That it was, it, was, ah. it, was, it was amazing. I mean, it had Robin Hood and King Arthur. Everybody yeah. was in it. And everyone's um, been trying to make the, the the definitive King Arthur movie for my entire life, and or, I'm ballsing it up for my entire life. That's what, that, <laughs> well, that's what is always always the case. But it, was it was it Sandy Lieberson? Sandy Lieberson, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was a very very nice guy and very easy to work with and very smart. I mean, he's a he's a you know he's a really good old fashioned film producer of the best kind, and I think he just. I think in the end he gave it up and started teaching or something because it's a, you know you know it can be a horrible yeah. horrible job anyway so he he said to me Kirshner was looking for a, a writer for this King Arthur picture as it happened Linda was in was in Los Angeles and I was in London trying to sort out the remains of my previous marriage which was a nightmare because Having said she, you know, she was up and down on, on, on the whole thing, poor woman. I mean, she wasn't particularly stable. And I don't like to say this about somebody's mother because her son is such a nice guy and a very yeah. sort of nice straight guy. But anyway, she, she had her points, but, but, but obviously, uh, but she wasn't, she was. So in the middle of all this, she was actually either taking Valium and you know, pretending to kill herself or she was coming at me with a kitchen knife about, you know, about 18 inches long. And there was one just ludicrous scene where I was trying, I wasn't working on the script at that point, but this was the situation I was in, where I was trying to do the great rock and roll swindle for, you know, the the, the Sex Pistols. Yeah. Uh, newspaper it was. Yeah. We did a newspaper that was supposed to give, and I think it was given away with the, with the movie. Yeah. Anyway, so I was trying to do that. Meanwhile, she's coming at me. I had to sort of, bolt the door i don't know if i can no, no the, i think she'd already smashed the bolt off the door that i'd put on this is in my office as it were and she got she managed to do that anyway and I, i've got this image of of writing that with a knife this big knife coming around the the door while i'm trying to keep her, keep it closed and the heel came off my boot at the same time some I'm, I'm sort of the whole thing becomes a total farce because she's also taken Valium, you know, enough to make her go to sleep eventually, and eventually she does. But this time I've got her in the pictures where she says she wants to go, and I'm thinking, well, the pictures are going to be safer than anywhere else, so we'll go to the pictures. But then she falls dead asleep in the pictures. I have to carry her home. I mean, the whole thing was, it, and I mean, this was just one scene of 
many scenes I never want to go through again. I'm not a natural, as it were, drama queen. I don't, I don't get up on drama. <laughs> and there was, uh, there was a lot of drama before this mar- that marriage was over. <laughs> anyway, so I really wanted to go back to Los Angeles. And, and so eventually I took the job for that reason. He said, you can do it here, you can do it in England. I, thought, I said, no, no, don't worry. I'll come over there and do it. Um, and I, I took the Concorde. I spent the entire, the entire I mean, which was, a re, I suppose, supposed to be a return fare. But anyway, I spent it. In those days, Concorde was only about double what, what it cost to, to fly normally. So it wasn't hugely expensive. I think it was about 700 quid. <laughs> but anyway, I'd always wanted to go on Concorde. I thought, bugger this, you know, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll do the job, but I'm going on Concorde. So I went to Concord. Linda met me, and I went on Concord. Linda met me, and eventually we 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 uh, we took the train down to LA, and I started working. And and Kirshner turned out to be even more of a nightmare than Pius. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, these people I know very well because I've met them, and I've even worked with them. That they're extremely sane, well focused film directors. They exist. They make very good films. You know, they're efficient they're business-like they teach people a thing or two while they're doing whatever they're doing you know people all say well Kirshner was not one of those film directors he actually wanted to be one of those he wanted to be an auteur both Fust and Kirshner wanted to end up their lives you know being known as the sort of Kurosawa of, of the Cockney Kurosawa or the Hollywood you know whatever and they weren't good enough at it. They just weren't. I mean, they, but they've both been lucky. Kirshner had the yeah. Star Wars job, which I think, as I said before, my dog Spot could have directed and become yeah. a, you know, yeah. and got a, got a Hollywood job next, as it were. Fust had the Vibes jobs, both of which had been incredibly lucky for them. Both um, of which were kind of producer-led movies, weren't they, really? They were absolutely producer led because 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 I think Kirshner got rid of Lee Brackett, probably the best scriptwriter you could yeah. possibly have got for 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 any movie really crime western you you name it Lee could do it and she was the originator of most of the stuff or at least a good deal of the stuff that they were using. I mean the kind you know she was a genre as it were mover you know she was an original. And and getting rid of Lee was I didn't know that he'd done this at the time because Lee Lee had been ill and and by the time I got there I think she died yeah. she, she was a friend of mine and and you know but but and had such an amazing pedigree as a screenwriter oh just God. incredible big sleep Rio Bravo yeah. I mean I mean she had some bad ones as well but she knew they were bad too yeah and as did Hawks some of the time yeah. she she when she was doing the the next movie after Rio Bravo that Hawks did, which is exactly the same as Rio Bravo, I think it was called Bravo Rio. Or uh, yeah, Rio Lobo was one of those yes, ones. Right, There's yeah. about three of them that are almost identical, right? They're exactly. It's Rio Bravo, all... Rio Lobo. They're all the same <laughs> film. And she's saying to, to Hawks, yeah, this is the same movie. You don't need me. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to just remake it. She said, no, 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 you know, I want you to be. So, I mean, she, she, she knew exactly what, you know what the movie business was like. She was very well ground, and, I, and I'm very sorry that she she didn't live to to do that Empire Strikes Back. Anyway, he'd got the Empire Strikes Back, which is probably the worst of the Star Wars movies. I haven't seen them all, so 
but it, I certainly didn't like it very much. But I had to watch it because he sat next to me while the bloody thing screened. Not just that, but other movies he'd made, which were all sequels. He'd made Return of the Man Called Horse. Yes, um, correct. He, 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 met, he made SPYS, didn't he? The, the kind of, it was a film that reunited Donald Sutherland and, and Elliot Gould after they'd done MASH. Yeah, but oh, really? the rec- recast them as spies. Yeah, oh, yes. and and yeah, and it's the only thing that recommends that movie is they've still got their chemistry. Yeah, but yeah. the film itself. But when you look at Kirshner's, when you look at his filmography, with the exception of arguably Empire Strikes Back, it's all real, also ran material. Every single movie. Luck, Luck of Ginger Coffee, I think, was the one that that and yeah. uh, a fine um, madness he did, didn't he? With did with he, uh, Connery, I, yeah, he did that too. Because he, because he did a, he did a James Bond movie. Oh yeah, um, he, well he did Never Say Never Again. Joke. He did, he, yeah, yeah, he did the bad, um, he did the bad Connery. He did the that's right, yeah. the, the Connery reunion <laughs> movie. Yeah, so he, I mean he, he didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't the most talented film director. Like a lot of them, he, you know, been and an, I think he'd uh, started as an artist or a photographer or something, you know, and gradually, but, but it. It was he. He actually sat there. I, I mean, I've put all this, as you know, in letters from Hollywood, and yeah. we, we I'm kind of repeating myself. But 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 most people haven't seen that book, so yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna link to that in the show notes for this. By the way, if anybody's listening, because letters from Hollywood is well worth picking up and checking out, which I've done since our last last conversation. I think it's a phenomenal book. But it's it's like with anything, it's it's very interesting. You. It's very interesting hearing you tell this story in addition to just reading it, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I agree. I know what you mean. Yeah, so so anyway, he, 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 he'd done all these unsuccessful films with one or two. There's something, uh, Eyes of Laura Mars, did he yeah, make that? Yeah, that's right. That was him too, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that one, I think that was the one that kind of you know, made them decide to use him. Yeah. Anyway, he, all he did was badmouth scriptwriters, and I'm looking at some of these movies. I'm thinking, that's one of the best scriptwriters in Hollywood. That's Jack So and So. You know, that's Walter So and So. I mean, I, and you know, I'm thinking they can't all have been that bad because you know these are these guys. I don't know a huge amount about Hollywood, but I do know that these guys have got reputations, and I've seen some of the you know the other films, and they've done some very good films. So eventually, obviously, you, you, there's one common denominator there. <laughs> and you said, oh, and I and I said I said to Sandy later, I said, why the hell did you give me that job? You know, recommend me for that job? He said, well, you know, I, 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 I knew it was difficult, and I thought you could probably handle it. And I said, yeah, I wish you'd told me before that he was difficult. At least I'd have been prepared. And 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 you know, Sandy just laughed. I mean, it wasn't Sandy's fault. He he done he done. He thought he was doing me a favor. This man, this man wanted to wanted. He said in the end, this is when we'd been working on idiotic ideas for a long time, where I was trying to kind of keep it back to what he told me he wanted, which was. Which 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 I discussed, which was like a fifth century Romano Celt in a fifth century Romano Celt's environment, and so on. Yeah, and I had because he was a Romano Celt, I had I had his sidekick the way we'd worked it out, but as being black, 
Because, uh, I mean, it's happened in Robin Hood films since then, yeah. but, but, but there are a lot of black people around, you know, and they never yeah. get mentioned in these things. And so I, I just had him as, a, as, a, as another Roman, a Roman, you know, from a different part of the empire. Yeah. And, and the crumbling empire and all of that. And, and I, but but I, I think I made a pretty good job of it if you wanted what he'd asked for. But, of course, he didn't. And at one point, He'd obviously been to see the rushes of Excalibur, yeah. which I hadn't seen. And at one point he says to me, why don't we have a scene where the guy's all in this armor? I'd already gone through the, uh, the, the plate armor, didn't come in for another 500 years, as it were, but nonetheless, he wants him in plate armor. He's all in plate armor, he says, and, and he makes love to this woman. How about that? And I'm thinking, well, it would be difficult. <laughs> But he'd seen something like it on Excalibur. Um, I can't remember. There was a, there was a scene. Yeah, I didn't I, really like Excalibur it, much, so I didn't really. It's the. I'll on, tell you sorry. what it is. It's the it's the opening scene with uh, Gabriel Byrne where he plays Uther Pendragon, and it's when Arthur is conceived. Oh, uh, okay. And and, and and Gabriel Byrne is all in the armor. Yeah. So so you know, make it taking Arthur's mother, you know, his queen. It, it after a battle, he. You know, that, it's like the opening oh, ten minutes it. of the film. It's exactly oh. that. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's what he wanted, and, and I, you know, I, I couldn't give it to him. I mean, I just could not give it to him, given the nature of what I was supposed to be writing. And another point, I'm, I have them up in the north, and and something I say something about Hadrian's Wall. And I've I've added in some some piece of reference so you can see Hadrian's Wall, and he looks at me and it's a photograph of Hadrian's yeah. Wall. He looks at me and says, "Was that real?" I said, "It's a photograph," <laughs> 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 and that was about the level on which we were. <laughs> and he, in the end, he says to me, he says, "He says what I want is the." Oh, I can't remember one director, the dynamism of somebody and the such and such of Kurosawa. He want, and he's, deci he's decided, let's have them all walking because, of course, in Kurosawa, they're mostly all walking about. Yeah. Doing, you know, samurai strutting, you know, strutting down the road and all yeah. the usual stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, again, okay, but the horse was pretty fucking important <laughs> to this, this particular period of time yeah it's just it's just a, it's a classic comical hollywood producer stereotype yeah and the baffled i don't know intellectual trying to help you know trying to do what this guy is asking for but reminding him that you can't have this all and that you've got to have this or that yeah and so on yeah so it went on like that for 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 for, for several months in which I became seriously involved with hard drugs. <laughs> <laughs> quite quite <laughs> rightly so. <laughs> quite rightly so. I couldn't have survived any other way. <laughs> and at the same time, what I don't think Linda ever knew was that his assistant was hitting on me. So every and she was driving me. She was driving me back and forth. She'd pick me up at home, you know, yeah. where we lived in, in uh, we were living in North Hollywood, and take me to Burbank or wherever it was we were going, you know, that, that particular day, usually Burbank, usually nowhere very interesting. And, and she'd be hitting on me. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm sitting there thinking, you've just picked me up from my girlfriend's place. I mean, so I'm, I'm dealing with that as well. 
because um, I'm, I'm not a natural, I'm not what you call a serial lover <laughs> yeah, or, a, or a whatever not, it is. Not a natural philanderer. <laughs> not a natural philanderer. I get very guilty if I, when I philander. I stopped doing it. <laughs> it didn't suit me at all. <laughs> I, I was the one, I was always the one who told, told what I was up to. I just couldn't stand somebody looking you know, baffled and, and, and wondering what I was doing. I think, no, I can't. Nobody should go through that. So, so I'd always, you know, shot myself. Yeah. So, so it sounds like, you know, parts of the, the Hollywood equation were okay. Hard drugs, yes. Moral bankruptcy, no. Right, no. That's pretty much it, isn't it? And, and I had some, you know, there were, I had an agent for a while who no no hang on he was an agent and then having got hold of you know handling my film work this film agent bobby lickman bobby then decided to become a producer which meant that he already owned my film work it was just sort of ridiculous and so suddenly bobby is a producer and i'm meeting these directors this is for an elric picture that that he wanted to make while I'm st- at the same period I was in Hollywood, I don't know if it was a, whether I'd made a trip or two back home, I don't know. But anyway, it was that period. And, and, and sort of starts courting me in a funny way. You know, I'm meeting these directors. I've heard of some of them. Some of them are still in their early, but they're all, they're all good, good people. But I, I have no idea what, and, and some of them don't know why they're there. We get, you know, we get invited to Bobby's for dinner. Then dinner, then then Bobby puts on this sort of production, which I wasn't expecting. He puts music on the, you know, on the on the bloody record. You know, he darkens the room. He starts to describe the scene. And all of it's come out of a comic. I know exactly where he's going from. He hasn't read the books. He's read Frank um, Brunner's comic version in, I think, Marvel. Yeah. And so, so 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 I'm thinking, what's going on? The music. <laughs> The music, I don't know, it's some fashionable music, but it's four bars of the same bloody music over and over and over again with slightly different tones on it. It's like tubular bells, which I can't stand. It drives me crazy. It's the sort of thing you put in prisons to make people go mad. Anyway, so, and I think to myself, and I'm, I'm sitting there, there's Peter, whatever his name is. He became well-known, lay Australian director. And Bobby oh, and me. Oh, Peter Weir. Peter Weir. Was yeah, Peter, Peter Weir. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Nice bloke. Very good conjurer. Absolutely marvellous conjurer. He, he, I mean, Linda loves conjuring, and she just fell in love with him because he could, you know, he could say, is this your card? Or if you go to the refrigerator and look in, you'll find your card there. Or, you know, he really was a good conjurer. Mate, that, anyway. that is a superb anecdote. I've never heard that before. And now I'm never going to forget it. Peter Weir is a great conjurer. That's fucking awesome. Well, anyway, he was. And Anna and I spoke, as I said, yeah, we, we, I had no trouble. I didn't know who these people were, but most of them were affable, pleasant, you know, and and, and quite a few had read, read my stuff, so they were kind of interested. But I, I actually... I wasn't really trying to sell Elric at that time. I didn't really want to because in those days, the effects always took over the film. You couldn't help it. It was the way they were made. All the money went into, you know, Harryhausen, as it were. And then there wasn't anything much left for 
actual acting actors. And, yeah, and, and, and that, that's a great example. I mean, Harryhausen movies, whatever your position is on them, I know people who absolutely love them, some of whom some of whom work with me at Titan. But mm-hmm. they're all about the effect sequences. Uh, yeah. And the, the scripts are rudimentary and the performances are very poor from yeah. you know, B-list actors, aren't they? You know, you'd never find an A-list actor unless they're playing a character part in a, in a, in a Harryhausen movie. Yeah, absolutely. So that was it. And, and I really didn't want to... Oh, at the same time, Ralph Bakshi had, had uh, come to me and I'd had a day with Ralph Bakshi, which was not the best day of my life. So I had to sit in his fucking projection studio watching his version of Lord of the Rings. He did a oh, rotoscope. Yeah, the rotoscoped version. And yeah. it was terrible. I mean, it was just terrible. So I'm sitting there. I, I, nothing against Fritz the Cat, which is his first success. Yeah. And, you know, and, and really he should have stuck in that area. I think he would, probably would have been all right. But anyway, so I had to sit through through this awful rotoscoping. And, you know, while he's trying to get me to flog in Melrick. And, and in the end, what I did was I put the price up so high that he couldn't possibly. I knew he was a cheap bastard too yeah. so so I, so I thought okay you know it's it's a million or nothing as it were I can't remember what it was I was much more sensible than making it too big but I made it too big for him and so I got out of that one and and, and very glad I was too I mean it would, would not have been a happy time but but the same uh, the I'm trying to think I'm not even sure where where you know, in what sequence all these things happen because I, I was out I was out there for quite a long time and Oh, I, I, you know, I met I met Gene Wilder, which was great for me. You know, I'm a great fan of Gene Wilder. Yeah. I, I met I met the guy who did performance. The other the other guy. Oh, Nick Rogue. Nick Rogue. Yeah. Who, who actually comes up to me and starts talking about dragons, and I'm looking at him like, "What the bloody hell are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> next 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 movie, Michael will have dragons. <laughs> Drunk as a skunk. Um, and I'm just thinking, what? <laughs> But anyway, so you know, I did, I did, I did have an interesting time. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a great star. Yeah, I take people as they are. I, yeah, I, just I, like I get that. that. Yeah, and uh, so I, I, you know, I'm not. I wasn't thinking. Oh, here I am. You know, I'm, I'm meeting Christopher Lee, and I'm. Meet- oh, Christopher Lee's was good because uh, I think I put this in Hollywood. He's taller than me, and I was pretty tall in those days. I've shrunk a little bit, Sid. And so I'm looking up at him. I mean, he must have been six foot four, I think. Difficult for, for a screen actor, I have to say, because they, they can't get into the little screens. TV's yeah. terrible for them. You know, you can only see their, their middles, really, because anyway. But you don't see many tall film actors. They tend to be short. That's I mean, very you know, true. I, I, I said yesterday, you know, Iron Man towering over you on the, in the movies. You know, you <laughs> He would not be towering over you in the in real life. He's about five foot four, I think, Robert Downey. So he's, he's shorter than Harlan Ellison, and Harlan yeah. was the shortest person. Oh, Barry Bailey was probably a bit shorter, but anyway, you know, well in that league of, of midget. <laughs> anyway, so we're, we're uh, so you know, I, I did. I met I met some people I admired. I had you know. That I, that I liked and and I had a good time, but I, but I didn't want to make a fantasy movie at, at that time. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't mind making a, a historical movie where we didn't have to have many effects, you know, many big effects. But I didn't want to make a fantasy movie. I just didn't, and I didn't want anybody to buy it. 
I, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to sell Elric in, in, in Hollywood. I was just trying to learn how to be a decent scriptwriter, really, because yeah. the final program I was so disappointed in, and I turned down the chance to do the script. So, I, because I didn't think I was qualified, and that's why I did the Land That Time Forgot. Entirely that, well, Edgar Asparas asked me to do it, but, but yeah. apart from them wanting me to do it, I, I took the job because I thought, you know, I've got to learn how to do this myself. I can't, I can't leave this in the hands of amateurs. And uh, so, so that was why I did Land, Land at Time Forgot. But back to Hollywood and working on whatever it was I was working on. Oh, Lancelot, that's right. That really was, I mean, it was a classic Nathaniel West type satirical you know, version of Hollywood. Yeah. I know that many people are not like this. I was very unlucky. I got the kind of last of the Nathaniel West. <laughs> I did on, I did on, I did the same thing happened on Land That Time Forgot. I got John Dark. Now, John Dark was a comedy producer. I mean, he was like, I mean, he didn't produce comedies. But he was like a comedy producer. He had, you know, cigars that were twice his size, and and called everybody baby, and, and, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, and did all the stuff, you know, that you would if you saw it on a say a Doctor Who, you'd think, nah, you know, you you're going off, you know, you, this is this is too broad, this is this this won't do, it's you know, too much. Bring yeah, bring it in a bit, you know, and but that's what he was like. That Doug McClure, who was a very nice guy. I yeah. mean, he wasn't an A-list actor, but he was a you know, he was Actually, a uh, yeah. And the thing is, uh, he was certainly McClure was certainly of a far higher caliber than any Harryhausen actor. Doug McClure could properly act, properly act, and he had charisma, of course. Right? Yeah, he did. You know, he was, I mean, he was, he was, he was and, fucking great as Trampus in the Virginian. He was brilliant. You know, I, yeah, he I used, absolutely he was. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and. And you know he was, but he was a working actor. He was a practical yeah. working actor. He knew, you know, he knew what he was supposed to do. He knew how to do it, and it was wonderful. Well, I wasn't working with him directly, but it was wonderful to you know to have him in the in the mix. He he taught all the British actors how to how to not do a knockout punch without actually hitting somebody. They were all learning from him. You know the the, the, the little bits and pieces of Hollywood business. You know yeah. that. Uh, that they hadn't been taught at RADA. <laughs> that's for, that's phenomenal. Which it makes complete sense because his screen craft, after all those years and years of all those years and years of working on those TV shows. I mean, Virginia it was wasn't even a normal TV show, was it? It was essentially a yeah. season of the Virginian. The episodes were ninety minutes long. It was yeah, like they, they... making twenty-two movies. Yeah. That's right. No, no, I mean, no question of that. I mean, he was probably the most... Pre Ke Kevin, can't remember the director's name, Kevin. Uh, yeah. Oh, man, it'll, actually, it'll come to me. It was his first movie, I think, his first directing movie. And as far as direction was concerned, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I didn't like what happened to it, but that wasn't his fault. That was the producers you know coming in and asking for volcanoes going off at the end of the picture and everything which they actually promised me with their on their mother's lives that they would not do and of course immediately they think of the you know I was trying to stay away from the from the usual tropes the usual endings and also it was part of a three books or well three short books which and they were going to do the sequels so I'm thinking you know <laughs> the bloody thing blow up when yeah. you're next going to do the people that time forgot, Jim Jim Cawthorn stayed on. He was a bit more um, 
I think in love with with Hollywood than I, you know, with movies than I was. This wasn't Hollywood. This is Shepperton. And so Jim stayed on the people at time for got a bit longer than I did. Yeah. I I got off it. Almost so it was, it was Kevin Connor, wasn't it? Who directed the Long Time Forgot? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he, you know, as I say, he 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 he'd learned. He again, he was a he was a pro. I mean, he, he may have been young, but he he knew. You know, he was a decent enough director. Oh no, um, for sure, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and he stuck with that kind of that genre was pretty much what he stuck with his entire it career. Seems because, to be yes, yeah. He did people that time forgot. He did another well, McClure. Warlords of Atlantis, he did, right? That's it. They were all they were all the same company. Um, I think I don't know if John yeah. Dart was all of them. You probably know the name, which I'm which yeah, I just it forgotten. was Amicus. It's all Amicus. It was Amicus, stuff. It was Amicus and, Productions, yeah. And it was Milton Zabotsky. Yeah. And the other guy, I knew them. I mean, I knew them socially. I'd I'd never actually worked with them before, but and and actually. Milton had once told, uh, yeah, it was uh, oh, Max that, Rosenberg, that, wasn't it? It's Milton Sibotsky and Max, Max Rosenberg. That's it, yeah. And they once, uh, they once, I remember they they were they were condescending to me because they thought that the pictures they made, you know, were were fairly crappy pictures. They had a, you know, they had an idea that maybe they were and maybe they were, but they, but but they bought Margaret Drabble's The Waterfall, I think, yeah. and one of my, my one of one of Margaret Drabble's books. And they were, and, and here I am, and I've already done a fair amount of substantial writing, and they're treating me like I'm a hack, you know, as it were, just can't. Th- and they're, they're condescending to me by saying, you know, we, we do Margaret Drabble, you know, as well, and that's going on about. <laughs> now, as far as I'm concerned, much as I like Margaret Drabble as a person, she's a nice person, a very nice person. But I'm not a great admirer of her books, and I, and, and I, you know I don't have to be. She's not a great admirer of mine. I'm, I, you know, it's just the way it is. But it, it's you can you know this was the literary world talking to the yeah. scum of the science fiction, <laughs> <laughs> or so they thought. Yeah. And I'm sitting there being condescended to by these two idiots, and they, <laughs> nice as they were, they were idiots. <laughs> and, uh, it was it was a very very strange experience, but you know it, it was it didn't take long. Is the thing I I, I would never I, I when I wrote scripts and I wrote some more because I wanted to get my hand in. They were never filmed and nothing happened, but I did. I wrote them. I would only I'd write to straight uh, union rates. I wouldn't I wouldn't ask for above union union you know not norm because it didn't seem to me that they were getting. A professional, they were getting somebody who was trying to learn the business himself, you know. So, so I, I saw that as being fair. If they if they paid me, you know, just the basic, I would, I would take the amount of time that was needed, which was usually about three days. But they thought it took months, and I made the mistake in the beginning with with Kirshner. He said, "Well, how long do you think the script will will take you to do to do? You know, if you if you come over to Hollywood," and I said, "Well." probably about three days for the outline, about a week for the script. And there was this icy pause. And whoever was with us, probably Sandy was with us. We were at the St. James Club, that club in like in, in, in Park, Park, Park Street. Park. Anyway, and I've completely forgotten what I was talking about. I suddenly remembered Park Street and how much I disliked yeah. that club. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
It's not even Park Street. No, we were, we, um, anyway. <laughs> we were talking about you. You, you. Basically, the fact that you, the way you handled your writing assignments was that you you didn't charge him for oh, yes, work. You right. just and I, and I worked the scale. Take. And yeah. Sandy, in the end, he said, never, never say that. He said, <laughs> he said, it may only take you three days and it may only take you a week, but you have to make it seem a lot longer than that and a lot harder. <laughs> And so, and most of my time out there was not really spent working. It was spent bullshitting, which I hate doing. You know, I'm a I'm a worker. Yeah. That's why yeah. I've got so much stuff. I don't I don't go to the pub. I, I do go to the pub, but I don't go to the pub so much that I can't you know produce this stuff. You don't produce that amount of stuff if you've been at the pub every night, as it were, or bullshitting on Hollywood. And I like to you know get the job done and. Do it, make it a good one, you know, and move on to the next one. But 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 this was it. Really was a genuine. He was he was he was he was crazy. In a in a he he would he would spend hours going on about his wife. He was in the middle of a divorce, so I was getting all this awful stuff that I did not want to know about. What a bitch she was. What this was, you know. And I knew I didn't know the woman. I didn't. You know, she probably. I thought. You know, if she's having like my experience, I would divorce him. And and then she'd phone, and he'd be all kind of sweet and negotiable, and trying to sort of. And I was getting so sort of sick of that for a start. And then he'd talk about it again. And he also he kept he kept rotten cantaloupes in his in his in his wardrobe, in his you know where he kept his clothes. Because he said they made them smell sweeter, so the whole bloody apartment smelled of rotten cantaloupe. That's, <laughs> that's fucking that's <laughs> ludicrous. <laughs> he, he borrowed he borrowed this house. I don't know somebody's house. It was, it, it was in the hills. It looked over the whole of the whole of um, Los Angeles. It was a wonderful house. Great, and I had to go there every day. You know. Working with him. I like the house. I like the I like the apartment. I even like the food because his assistant was really giving me some very nice food because because she was after me, and so, so I was doing all right from that point of view. It was only Kirshner was the only fly in the ointment. Yeah, and uh, and he. I mean, he. I think he made another film, a fairly successful film after a after a, a number of poor movies. But anyway, I think he died, didn't he? I think if, if he's not dead, he's going to sue the fuck out of me. So I probably hope. <laughs> yeah, John Dark. I mean, John Dark was uh, he, he's not he, John Dark. I'm talking about Kirshner, but but oh, but Kirshner's long John dead. Dark yeah, was, Kirshner, was Kirshner died ten years ago. You're completely <laughs> in the clear, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Good. Okay. Thank goodness. <laughs> and yeah, John Dark went about five years ago, six years ago, I reckon. Yeah. So uh, yeah, well, Kirshner was long dead. Yeah, well, he, he lived a long time doing bugger all because I'm not sure he did much after his, his... Anyway, I don't know what he did. I do know, you know, I knew Mil Milton used to used to turn up at John Brunner's parties. Uh, very odd. You know, he was this classic Jewish film producer. I mean, this is... We all know Jewish film producers. Yeah, yeah. Of course, was, the guys who founded the business, that kind of absolutely, cliche. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not... You know, this is not... To, you know, no way to characterise him. But that's who he was, you know, and that's what he was like. And he talked like that. And he was very sort of, he was actually refreshing from my point of view at John Brunner's parties because John used to used to have these, I think he called them conversaciones or something. <laughs> well, I, I say he had the idea. He ran this sort of salon. Him and Marjorie had this salon which 
you, he had, I think, once a month, if not once a week. I mean, it, they seem to be forever. They're all, Jimmy and I used to go there. Jimmy said he was, Jimmy Ballard, he used to say he was going there for industrial espionage. And you'd always catch him in Jim's, in uh, John's bedroom where John had all his books and stuff. <laughs> Jimmy was in there sort of nosing about to see what John was up to. Mostly what he had in his bedroom was sex books. Hundreds of sex books. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking to myself, what do they do? So page 570, uh, book 15. Not my business. His his sex life was always strange, kind of logical, like 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 it was a sort of Harry Harrison thought that that John had invented himself as a, as an author. He wore a velvet jacket, he lived in Hampstead, he was left wing, you know, all, all of that stuff. Wasn't really fair to John. John was very sweet underneath all this stuff. He was, you know, he was like, like, like everybody I know, a nerd in disguise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, not, he's not going around with some big thick glasses and you know, the, the nerdy, the nerdy suit. He's actually pretending to be a, an actual normal human being, which you know damn well <laughs> underneath, just as I am. He's a nerd. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so you know he, he was he was a strange guy and everybody in who knew him in science fiction in, in England had stories about him sometimes you couldn't help you couldn't go through an evening i mean an entire evening without people just talking about john he was a kind of focus because of his peculiar self-invented persona and the way he was he was very he he, he was not really capable of you know normal expression he he didn't sort of get easy and drunk and pissed like the rest yeah. of us you know and just hang around and what, talk more Mike, what did it what did you think of his work some of it was very good when 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 he when he rose when he rose to his best he could be brilliant he spent a lot of his time like many of us i mean i didn't have to go through this as much as a lot did the only work really regular work was from people like don walheim doing ace books yeah. Which were essentially the novella from a pulp magazine, the doubles anyway, the novella from a pulp magazine, which they called novels, would be the first half of a double. And then another novella, because this is how the science fiction magazines work, would be on the other side. And you could do that forever, really, because the magazines would providing you with it. John, John did a few magazines, but he worked directly for Walheim a long time. Doing, um, doing, you know, ace doubles or not ace doubles, or you know, just ace books. Yeah. I have a huge admiration for Don Walheim. I admire him and respect him far more than the many do. He he deserves far more than many do. He he pirated the Lord of the Rings without pirating the Lord of the Rings and the Princess of Mars without pirating them, which he did out of sheer frustration because Tolkien would not sell American rights. He thought they were too vulgar. I knew a number of writers in those days, including the Peaks, who would yeah. not sell to America because they were afraid of what America would make of their books. And so Tolkien had never let the American rights be sold. I don't know a lot about Tolkien. I only know this. You know, I mean, I'm not a Tolkien scholar. There's probably more to it than I'm saying, but yeah, but this this was the basic of it, basis of it. And Don, who loved the books, couldn't get them. So eventually he discovered that they weren't in copyright in the States. They because they'd never been published there, they hadn't been established there. So Don brings out The Lord of the Rings in three 
paperbacks. I'm sure they would have killed Tolkien. I can't remember if Tolkien was still alive or not then, because you know we know what they looked like. They weren't. They were they were commercial paperback covers, and and of course began what what is now a phenomenon. It started in America. It didn't yeah. start here. Um, or there, I'm in America, come to think of it, but where you are now, it did not start. And Tolkien, you know, suddenly starts to get phone calls at three o'clock in the morning from, from enthusiastic high school students, as it were, you know, or, or um, you know, or, or, or students is where it mainly was mainly the focus at that time. And starts to wonder what the hell's going on. I mean, he, he it was, and Don... Don immediately let those books go as soon as somebody stepped in to try to establish them, you know, to, to, to repair the damage. Sure. Because all Don wanted was the bloody things to come out. He didn't, you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't, you know, he, he'd have paid for them. He, he just wanted them to be much. out there and circulated. Yeah. And he got everything. He and Larry Shaw, who's the editor of Lancer Books and a, and a fan too, together in the 50s, probably put out all of the the substantial fantasy fiction that had been published in English and some that hadn't been published in English they you know they were they were very they were as broad as they could be at the time these are not educated men by a long shot but they were great enthusiasts and they were willing to you know in, in classics they they accepted as classics you know and published them as best they could in those days in the old pub- paperback publishing world. They'd, Larry did the dying first time, really, the dying earth had been a tiny edition before that. And he, and he published me. He did the first Elrics and the first Conans, I think, and so on. So, so between them, and there were one or two others, but, but between those, those two guys really did begin what is now an established fantasy genre and everything, you know, and everything it means, fans, all the rest of it. They just weren't there before, before, before um, Larry and Don. So I think, I don't know how I got onto this, but, 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 but it's, they, it's fascinating. Oh, about, I think we got onto it from John Branner. Yeah. 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 John. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. John. And we got into John from, I think Milton Subotsky's party. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> So it's it's all completely legitimate discourse. This is this is what I love about chatting with you, mate. Because the, the I, I I'm a great fan of pulling the string of the conversation and seeing where it goes. Yeah. You know, and the fact that we made that leap from Milton's parties to John Brunner to Donald Walheim, I think that's fucking awesome. I love yeah, it. I like that too. I do I do that if I can on my Facebook page. You know, I'll set a question like. Uh, that I'm curious about. I mean, I yeah. really want to know what people have to say about it. And a conversation starts up, and that goes, lit- yeah, that goes the same way anywhere. I, I, I like that too. Anyway, back to John Brown, I suppose, to be fair. John John began to rise to the occasion when New Worlds, when New World, when I started new, when I started editing New Worlds. And I think it was just because he had an editor who or in an atmosphere too. I mean, it wasn't just me. You know that that he knew he could. Tom Dish said this. He said it wasn't worth writing your best for most of the magazines because they didn't like it when they got it. Uh, apparently, I was the only editor they felt you know 
it was worth riding up to, to 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 aspire to or whatever. I, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm trying to be I'm trying to be straightforward without sounding like an egomaniac. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you, you can you, 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 I think you've earned being an egomaniac. So <laughs> I, I'm here to deliver the mania for you. So, okay, so yeah, right. go, just go anyway, ahead, give so it both barrels. The, the first the first the first story I bought of John's was called The Last Lonely Man. It had been turned down by every other science fiction market in the universe because John was very, you know, he'd send it to everyone. It was a good story, a very good story. I happened to know who it was based on, even though I didn't know. He hadn't told me that, but I knew the guy that, you know, was the central character of this story, and he got him very, very well. And so I published the story, and about two years later, it was on television, and, and John John got his first TV thing. So... So it proved to be pretty popular once I published the thing, which proved, which sort of not proves, but it shows you what the difference between New Worlds and the other magazines was like. For some reason, we could just see this stuff, and, and you know, it wasn't just me. Lang Jones was reading as well. I mean, we 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 could just somehow spot it, and uh, so so John after that started to get more ambitious, and you got things like the squares of the city. And stand on Zanzibar. Uh, stand on Zanzibar, and, yeah, man, that's a that's a great which, book. Which we did some of your new worlds. He made he made me he wouldn't give me the bloody manuscript to take away and read. He was paranoid, so I had to go over to his place for lunch. He said it wasn't much of a lunch, I have to say, but anyway, he said <laughs> for lunch, and and read, read read the book while I was in his flat. So Marjorie was a good cook. I'm not saying it was a bad lunch. But it wasn't what I was expecting. I expected a better lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, and and so I sat there, read it, and and I picked out, he helped me to pick out some pieces because I couldn't run the entire thing. It was huge. And to run it as a serial, it would have taken, you know, taken up issue, you know, God knows. So so I, I, I ran extracts from it. But it was very, very good. And so he did, yes, towards the end of his life, he began to get fractured. He was no longer able, he didn't have the markets for the, call it hack work. I mean, it was better than hack work, but for the standard science fiction kind of story that he was writing for Walheim. He just didn't have the market. Yeah. He had a great ambition to write a steamboat story, a Mississippi steamboat story. Now, this is a man with a cloth ear, no question of it. His one book set in America was called The Brink. It was an anti-bomb. It was a warning yeah. novel. And his, his, I mean, he'd been in the States, I don't know how many times, he could have heard nothing. Yeah, he, he right. He had no ear for dialogue at all. These people are talking like, I don't know, com- not even, no, not even, not even Fleetway Americans, <laughs> they're even. I mean, you know, we, we had stereotype Americans yeah. in in Fleetway stories, but these were, these were even worse than that. And talking in a way that no American would talk. I mean, it was it was a disaster. I thought an artistic disaster, anyway, yeah. about a disaster. But that was that was John. I mean, so so he, so he spent years doing this Mississippi. You know, I've spent some time in Mississippi myself, <laughs> and, and I'm married to a Mississippian. But here's John. Doing this Mississippi book, it was just 
I mean, I mean there's a very, very specific cadence to the way they oh, speak, right? Yeah, and absolutely. It, it, you're dead in the water if you haven't got that right. Absolutely. It was the music that attracted me to the to the you know, it's the music of the voices and the and and all the different cultures that made me move here in the first place. I didn't think I was going to be here this long, but I but I, you know, it was hearing the voices, southern voices and the mix, you know, black, Latina. Yeah. Yeah, Latino and, and, that, and that glorious, or, or you know, oral melting pot that, that you get in the states. Absolutely, and musical music. Yeah, music, oh, music, yeah music. A, a huge influence music. You know, something you've made me think of is that you know who I think. Funnily enough, I think two British authors who who perhaps have 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 captured American conversation the best are not two great authors but two very prolific authors the two the two main piccadilly cowboy guys jt edson and george g gilman when you oh, read yeah. their books you don't get any sense that they're written by an english person no you don't I at agree. all you know yeah. and they they totally they totally nailed it while not yep. being great artists but you know no but being but being but being very competent writers i mean yes. you know not you know being good solid writers and and Edson sold him in the states. That was the great thing. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean he's is is an English. And I think Russ Russ Story, Jack Trevor Story's first wife. She was a Western writer. Jack wrote some westerns too. I think she sold in the states too. I mean, I think probably we get inured to this. I mean, it's the way the blues gets into a little suburban lad, you know, bedroom in 1955 for me. Yeah. How does that happen? And you're identifying with these guys. You're identifying with, with guys who work themselves to death with their hands most of their lives when they weren't getting a doing a con you know, a recording or two. And and I don't know how it happened, but we, you know, that's what happened. It's it happened in London. In Liverpool, it wasn't quite the same. Yeah. Liverpool, it was more rock and roll and 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 the, the, the they were getting direct stuff from buddy holly and the like yes and it, that's and right. it, it made the beatles i mean no question yeah. of it but they didn't get the what was going on in london was a different vibe a, a blues vibe and that's yeah. where you know the likes of little eric stupid whatever his fucking name is I oh, hate eric burden yeah that, that, that's a bit oh clapton yeah and yeah. Uh, that's a big big influence no, I like on eric, uh, eric burden eric burden i know no i agree with you by the way mate burden's amazing <laughs> yeah. clapton leaves a lot to be desired particularly as a human indeed. being as he a human indeed. being jesus and Christ. even as a guitarist frankly uh, yeah. you I mean, know he does what? all this all this <laughs> shit he's doing up the neck you're thinking come yeah. on eric play a tune <laughs> You know what, mate? I actually think that this is almost the perfect moment to to pause for for this session because okay, we've yeah. we've literally just started talking. We've just segued into music, which I think we could probably fill an entire podcast or two talking okay. about. And that's yeah. what I'd love to get into next time All around right. because yeah. this journey through Hollywood's been epic, and the fact that we uh, the fact that we also finished up. Talking about John Brunner. By the way, I think the I'm presuming the reason he ended up at those Milton Sabotsky parties is because he he wrote the script for the Terranauts, right? Which was an oh, it was an Amicus film. Oh, did he? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, I mean that was he probably almost, kept it quiet. Jimmy yeah. Jimmy Ballard was never particularly noisy about uh, Last Days of Man on Earth either. <laughs> no, no. And, and these are, I, I mean, the truth is, these the late sixties Amicus movies 
absolutely make Land That Time Forgot and At The Earth's Core look like, you know, Oscar-winning masterpieces by comparison. You know, I mean, in in fact, I would say that Land That Time Forgot is kind of the high watermark for Amicus, you know, and I don't think they ever did. It probably was. I mean, not, not through any fault of anybody else, I must admit, but Milton and uh, Max, who, yeah. who who had some strange ideas. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. let's get into let's get into the music next time around, Mike. And that has been okay. that has been a great trawl through your Hollywood career in far more detail than we touched upon it last time. That's been brilliant. Oh, good. Yeah, I, 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 okay. I, I love those anecdotes, and you brought those characters to life. Great. Well, I'm glad I did. I haven't written any autobiography, so this may be all there's going to be. <laughs> well, we'll, well, we'll keep on rolling with it, mate. It's um, yeah. Once again, Mike, it's great to see you, and I'll see you next time around for yeah. the next episode of Hardy Grip. Yeah, and look after yourself, and good luck to all your family. You've been listening to Hardy Grip. This episode was edited by John Horsley and Kenry Regan, and our theme music, Golden, was written and performed for this show by Liverpool's finest band, Denio. Hard Degree is a production of the Spoilerverse and myself, Andrew Sumner. <laughs>